If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Our guest today is Matt Constance. Matt's an eventing specialist. He's ridden up to three star. He's also a trainer, coach, and working towards being a coach educator. He also breaks and trains horses, and he's done a bit of trick riding, and he does some film work in the horse industry as well. How are you, Matt? I'm fine, thanks. How are you going? Matt, I understand that you've got two quotes for us today. Couldn't settle on one, so you've got two for us. That sounds good. Yeah, that's right. Yep, yep. So my favourite one, one that I heard a long time ago, but um, luck is spelt W-O-R-K, I reckon. I reckon that's a great <laughs> one for, for new people. Yep. yep, yep. And then coming back to your jumping is uh, there's always another distance, but uh, William Final put me onto that one, and that's a really good one. Don't take the first distance you see, there's always another one. Okay, okay. Yeah. So just explain, so I know William Funnel's put you onto it, and there's always another distance. Just give me a little bit more information about that. Because it could be taken a couple of different ways, you know, and I just want to make sure that the way that you're saying it is a way that the listeners are going to understand it. Okay. Basically, when you're jumping a big course, you know, it's very tempting to see a distance if you come around a corner and go riding off at that one. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, the best one you're going to get is uh, if you wait to go about that one and wait for and get the next one. Mm-hmm. But it's also a good analogy in life, you know. Sometimes the first opportunity is not the best one. It's to, you know, keep an eye on it, but the next one might be even better. Yeah. I like the way that you've had the life analogy with it as well. That's good. Yeah. 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 All right. So, Matt, when did you first start with horses? Tell us a bit about your first memories, um, you know, and when you first started to ride. I think I've got pictures of of me on a horse wearing a nappy, my old man's stock horse. That was, um, (laughs) that's probably the earliest of, earliest. But my first memories is my sister and I, we had uh, a couple of stock horses in the paddock on our family farm. And unfortunately, we had a pony and a sock horse and one saddle between us. So we used to set off and go riding around the paddocks and the you know the creeks and stuff like that. Uh, but both of us were bareback because obviously we'd fight over a saddle. <laughs> so um, neither of us got it. So that's my earliest memories is going for a ride, you know, just bareback and doing whatever we could do. We'd jump logs. We'd just, you know, kids about six or seven, just running around, running amok on horses. It was, it was great. Mm-hmm. And how did you go from that? Because that's a fairly long journey from, you know, a picture of a horse on a horse in a nappy and then sort of the kids riding around the paddock bareback to becoming a professional in the horse industry. What was your career path there? While I was at high school, one of my teachers actually was involved in eventing and mm-hmm. we had the opportunity at my school as well to bring our horses in on a Wednesday afternoon and ride for sport. Um, what, what school was that? It was uh, Narrabri High School actually. Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. And so we had the opportunity of coming in and riding, riding for that. And uh, our local showground had, you know, some show jumps and a few cross-country fences. And uh, anyway, so I brought in the old stock horse and, and you know, got into a bit of jumping. And from there, I ended up buying a, an ex-race horse off the track. And I took that horse all over. I took it to Gundawindi three-day event. I took it to, you know, Scone. I, I didn't end up ever going to, to Sydney. We went to Gunnedah 
uh, one day event quite a lot, Coonabarabran, all the pony club things. So <laughs> it was really from those couple of years through high school that sort of started me off going, you know, a stock horse. And then I was introduced that, hey, there's a bit more to this. You know, you can jump and you can do dressage. And I didn't get dressage for a long time, but um, <laughs> eventually I did. And it just showed me that there was other career paths that were available to me. Mm, mm. Did you leave, go straight from high school into your career path in the horse industry or was there something else in between? Yes. No, so I went directly from high school, actually. So the horse that I had, like I said to you, I didn't have much of an idea about how to do that dressage stuff. Yep. When I was uh, 16, 17, I was, um, had no idea. But I'd read in, read in various horse you know, magazines and things about, you know, the Germans and, you know, this basic training system that they have and, you know, how the English did things. And so I got in my mind that I wouldn't mind doing that. So as soon as I finished year 12, I actually hopped on a plane and I went and worked for, for Bill Levitt when I was 17. Oh, okay. Straight out yep. of school. So that was my first experience of the real world and how it all works. And, and it was a fantastic opportunity for me to go from a pretty rough sort of a country kid to how it really can be. So I worked for Bill for, for a whole year and worked as a working student for him. And I rode, I had two competition horses of my own, but also got to school Bill's horses while he was competing overseas, as well as accompanying him to you know competitions and when he would get lessons with Eric Teelgard and things like that. And so I used that really, that first year was initially all about learning what can happen or what it's all about. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah. So what do you think then that you had straight from school? What core skills or character traits do you think that enabled you then to stay there with Bill for that year? You know, what was he looking for in you to have as a working student? I think it was the determination to stay there, to to go there with the attitude of, look, I can get a horse from A to B over a jump and I can pull it around a dressage test, but to go there with an attitude of, look, I, I probably don't know as much as I should and go there with an open mind and be told everything you know is wrong and then being tough enough to say, all right, well, you reckon that's wrong, that's fine, let's go and let's learn, teach me how to make it work. And so that's where I got, got in there was by having an open mind. And so, like I said to you, I would, on my days off, I would try and go and you know, watch Bill train at, um, you know, with his dressage trainer or, you know, or when he had jumping lessons, I would go, go and watch those. And, you know, it was that determination in that and that thirst for knowledge, you know, teach me all the things that I don't know. That was what kept me there, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah. Okay. So that thirst for knowledge, I mean, because it's a pretty big thing to have a certain amount of success and then be told, well, that success that you had, really, it's not worth anything if you really want to make, you know, make it in this industry and the thirst for yeah, knowledge you know, yeah yeah that thirst for knowledge i think that was what it was and that I'd, I'd get up every morning early i'd turn the horses out well i would you know to me that was the that was the thing that kept me sharp and work hard and have a thirst for knowledge i think that's the that's the biggest thing i'd say to, to young riders these days is you know it's not all just going to be um you know sitting on the good ones there's an awful lot of ride the bad ones as well yeah 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 and also that thirst for knowledge just on your days off, you know, doing stuff on your days off. So it wasn't part of your contract. It wasn't part of what you had to do, but you chose to do things in your days off and in your spare time that you knew were going to yes. improve you. So it was more than a job. Yeah, it was learning as well. Yeah, that's right. That's mm, for sure. Mm, that's mm. Exactly what it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you said that, you know, you've got your high school teacher from Narrabri, Bill Levitt. Who else has yep. influenced you? So... Bill Levitt was a very big one, but also after working for him, I went and worked for um, Pippa Funnel and, and her husband, William, yep. and I produced a lot of young horses while I was there. And, you know, dealing with Pippa and William, they, they're probably another really big UK influence for me. 
they're very well known with the Funnel Factor shows and Pippa's obvious success with, you know, the Rolex Grand Slam and things like that. And for me, working for them, it was a matter of, you know, pick a system and stick to it. And if you stick to your system, usually you're going to have success. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. if you chop and change that you, that you won't. So, you know, I, um, we look at um, William and, and Pippa and you compare them to the German system and they probably do things a bit differently, but they're very, very good in what they do. And, they, and just because their system is different doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means that their system works in a particular way for their types of horses that they've got. Yeah, and then yeah. also too, when I, when I worked for them, you know, they were producing and just starting the Billy Stud, and and the you know that had all sorts of Irish horses coming through, and they were breeding across with Dutch horses and things like that, and mm-hmm. it just showed me, you know, what good breeding can do and what good breeding can produce as far as the jumping horse and and the dressage, you know, and the eventing horse, you know, but it's not just about picking a good thoroughbred; it's about you know, imagine what we can breed. Yes, yes. So you've got something even better to start with. So you've got yeah. the breeding system plus the training system. Yeah. That's correct. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And and also too, you know, their training system suited their horses. Yeah. And that was something I really picked up from them is, you know, you've got to pick a training system that suits your horse. Mm. You can't just apply every system to every horse. You know, one system to all horses, every horse. You know, some, some different types need a different training system or a different, you know, way of riding. Yep. Yeah. And what about horses have influenced you? Has there been a standout or...? There's been quite a number of horses over the years that have influenced me, you know. Mm-hmm. If I was completely honest, every single horse I've ridden has influenced me in one way or another, but every single horse has taught me something different. But um, one that stands out for me is, uh, is a stallion called Billy Congo, who I rode for William Funnel, and mm-hmm. um, he's a stallion by Vector. And he was... Um, it, it was really, for me, I could hop on this horse and jump fences at home and jump around, you know, indoor training and things like that. And all of a sudden, I just felt this horse that could leave the ground. It was just easy. You could adjust his canter. You could feel him leave the ground in a really positive way. And that was really, really good for a person's confidence when you feel that, okay, it's the same every time. And then as the fences got bigger and bigger and bigger, that very little changed mm-hmm. because, you know, he had enough scope that it wasn't a huge change when, you know, you start on, a, on some other horses when it's starting to reach the top of their scope. They start to struggle and do different things in the air to try and make it work. So that was a really good start for him. And then, so he's been one of the biggest ones in the UK for me. And then, you know, there's been all sorts of things I've ridden overseas as well. But then the other one that's probably been great is I had a off-the-track horse here in Australia that I produced and took him to three-star called Alchemist. And he's been a really big influence on me in that he taught me just keep on trying, keep on going. When things don't go right, there'll be another way. And he's been a really good influence in that, that, that you can, you know, produce something from nothing very special, I suppose. Yep. That's yeah. been really good as well. Yeah. And do you think that's been your proudest moment with Alchemist? Oh, I think taking him around, cruising around Adelaide and a few three-star competitions, that's mm-hmm. been a, a really proud moment. But I don't know about proudest moments. I think there's all sorts of things, you know, passing the A test in the UK or my BHSII in the UK, that was a really proud moment. And then having that transferred into qualifications in Australia, that's been very proud as well. Um, selling horses on and seeing them really excel with other people or mm-hmm. Even simple things like I might get a horse that somebody else probably you know has given up on and I've been able to turn it around. That's been a really proud moment as well. I think we're really hard on ourselves in the horse industry that we don't celebrate the small milestones that we make and we just consider that it's, uh, you know, this is what we do every day. But sometimes you've just got to realise that, you know what, look back and think of a horse where it was like six months ago and realise that, geez, I've made a hell of a difference on that horse. Mm, mm. And I think that we've got to, we've got to recognise that, that, you know, that's something that's important to do, I think. 
I think that can be a very positive motivator, can't it? You know, you, you're yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what about your biggest challenge, though? My biggest challenge? Mm. I think it's a, like everyone trying to get into the horse industry is, is very difficult. You know, you need a, a huge amount of time and money and, and effort, you know. And I think still my biggest challenge is, you know, I'm still trying to produce horses that are going to be consistent and competitive at three and four star level. And so that's probably my, still my biggest challenge is mm-hmm. get that super horse that's going to wow the world. That's the one I want. Yep. 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 Yeah. All right then. So thinking about training horses, because you do a bit of breaking and training as well, don't you? Yeah, look, I basically my um, core is young warm bloods, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Most of my business comes from them, so I don't ride any thoroughbreds anymore. I basically have you know, a select group of clients who send me young warm bloods, um, Irish, you know, some of, of all sorts of breeding. So I've got some from imported breeding and some from elsewhere. Yeah, so that's a big part of my business, starting young horses. And how, when you say starting young horses, at what stage do you find that they're no longer young horses and they become a bit more educated as young horses just for the first six weeks or for the first year? How long do you have them for? Well, it depends on the horses. So some mm. of these warm bloods become very big and they're very ungangly, I suppose. So, you know, some of the really big ones, because they're so powerful, we might sit on them for two weeks as a two-year-old and then turf them out again and then ride them again as a three-year-old. Mm-hmm. And then I still consider them, those warm bloods are often still developing at four and five. So I still consider them to be a young horse because of their lack of strength and mental maturity at that stage. I yep. think that as you're sort of getting towards the end of, you know, at five and six, then you start to consider them to to know a little bit. And, and I don't treat them so much like a young horse and start mm-hmm. to think, all right, you know, you trade a bit more now. Yep. You have to think a little bit more for yourself. Yep. Yep. You know, a, a big thing in, in giving them that time, especially warm bloods, in giving them that time to work it out, you know, it's sometimes you just you feel like you're banging your head up against a, wall, a brick wall. You know, why can't you do this? You know, they're not strong enough. Mm. And then all of a sudden, you know, a couple of weeks later, you're like, oh, you worked it out. Got Good it. Job. Give yeah. them a pat. Get on with your life. You know, yeah. and it's uh, it's just having that patience for that. You know, they do take so much longer to develop. You Good. know, we're not dealing with you know in, in Australia, we're used to our thoroughbreds. You know, have been racing since they were three, so they're more physically developed than a warm blood. Yes. Is ever going to be at that stage. Yeah. 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 Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory with practical components that can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Thanks. All right. Now, you, you teach a few people. What do you think is a common problem that you see your riders do, your students do? You know, with, it could be dressage or jumping or cross-country. What's a common problem that you see them do and how can you fix it? Oh, look, I think everyone's got different problems. But I think, I think everyone tries to do too much is the most common thing I see. I see everyone's trying to make their horses perfectly round and influence their shape. You know, in particular in jumping mm-hmm. and you know even in dressage you know I've got some clients and they just can't get it out of their head just to let go of the reins and give them a bit of a kick and let them carry themselves so I think that's something that we can do in, in all sorts of things is to find let the horses find their own balance don't try and dominate every single step and every single thing they do you know let them find their own balance and then once they balance themselves well then you can start to influence them in a much more tactful way I suppose mm-hmm. that's the mm-hmm. way I look at it and yes. it's a very common problem I see but 
we all try and do too much instead of, you know, and this is something I picked up in England, is that sometimes it's a matter of just sort the most basic things out, make sure that the horse is carrying itself and then let him work out what he's doing after that. Okay. And that's full dressage, show jumping and eventing? Oh, sorry, and cross country, yeah. And cross country. So I think that, you know, when I met Yogi Bryzer in the UK, he said that Australians were exceptional when they went, you know, to Atlanta and things like that because they basically set their horses up into a canter or a gallop mm. at the cross-country centres. And then the horses had also knew that, hang on, that if somebody hasn't seen a distance or hasn't messed up, that the horses had the freedom there that they could jump from whatever distance they wanted. Mm-hmm. And then I think that also that reflects into dressage. You know, if you show a horse what you want him to do and then leave him to it, then he's got an opportunity to you know, put his own expression into it. Whereas if we try and drill him and hold him into every single thing we do, He's never going to really show himself off, is he? He's going to just be a little robot instead of, you know, if we let them out and let them, we've got to have them around. We've got, obviously, we've got parameters that, you know, are put down by our dressage judges that they want to see the horses do this in this in this space. But if we can set them up into that space and then let them be horses and be expressive, I think that that's the most exciting thing you can do. They can really show themselves then. Yeah, yeah, I think that's good the way that you said that. And as you said, it's it's still the same for dressage show jumping and cross country, and not just pulling the head in or looking for a, doing for a certain thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. All yeah. right, Matt. Have you got a book that's influenced you that you can recommend to the listeners? There's several books, but look, going right back to basics, you know, there's the simple thing: the UK Pony Club's Manual of Horsemanship. Mm-hmm. It's a really good place for a lot of people to start. And I sort of say that as an influence because I've been influenced by a lot of books over the years. But that's one that's got a really down-to-earth, basic way of explaining you know, what horses need for feed, how to be rugged, how to be looked after, washing. And it is a little bit aimed towards the UK with a slightly different climate to what we have in Australia. But it's got all of those core things written down there, which are very sensible ways to guide any sort of a rider mm-hmm. along. You know, It's got rules of feeding. It's got a really good, simple set of rules of feeding for horses, basic position things. It's all, all a really very basic starting point. Yep, I yep, think it's yep. a really, really good read for everyone. If we, if we have a really good basic understanding of how to take care of our horses properly and the British are known for having excellent horse care skills, I think that that's something that we could really do within Australia is improving our, our horse management, our horse husbandry, I think. Mm-hmm. And that's put together by the British Horse Society, isn't it? Yeah, the British yep. Horse Society and the British yep. Pony Club work together on that yep. one, yeah. Okay, what are you looking forward to, Matt? Are you going back overseas? Are you staying here? Have you got some young horses? Yeah, look, I've got a really, really lovely young horse of my own at the moment and he's just kicking around pre-novice and he's basically ready to go one star. But he's by Aries from a Falkirk mare and looked very exciting. He's a very flash mover and well-conformed and, you know, I think he can jump really quite well. So I'm really excited to take him out next year. That's going to be really good fun. What's his name? Uh, that's Riverside Archie. Okay, yep. He's my number one horse at the moment. But I've also got, uh, I've got for clients, I've got some really lovely dressage horses as well. So I'm looking forward to taking them out. So they're going to go elementary and medium next year, mm-hmm. which is also very nice. And I've also got my eyes on some other young horses to purchase and bring on as well. So, so uh, I'm looking at competing at a reasonable level in both eventing and dressage next year, which is going to be a new, exciting new branch for me, I think. Mm-hmm. Having two disciplines to compete at of my own, that'd be really, really, really good fun. 
but also too, you know, keeping an eye on like we've got some, some of my clients with their imported bloodlines over some really nice thoroughbred lines and nice warm bloodlines in Australia. So there's some nice young horses there for me to try and get my hands on to compete and produce as well. So uh, the future for me, I think I've got quite a number of nice horses to try and uh, produce and make into, into good horses over the next couple of years. I think it'd be really good fun. Good, good. And also, Matt, before we go, can you just sum up your philosophy into a lesson today for our listeners? Uh, philosophy. I think yeah. the biggest thing I can say is um, get the best horses you possibly can and don't give up on them. Keep trying. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best thing you can do. Yeah. It's about being persistent. Yeah. Being persistent, yeah. You know, like I've had to start with uh, ridden the nice horses in Europe and then, you know, going back to Australia and couldn't afford them. Yep. And simple as that. And then, you know, over time I've had to, I've got the best horses I could at the time and done the best I can with them. And I look at that, look at that and I'm quite proud of myself and how I've produced these horses. There's been failures, there's been horses that haven't made it, but there's also been horses that have gone a long way, taught me a lot, and also now set me up where now I've got some really lovely, getting better and better horsepower underneath me all the time, which is really positive. So I think mm-hmm. there's a degree of, you know, do the best you can with what you've got and yep. always be looking for the next opportunity to step up the ladder a bit further. Good, good. All right, now, Matt, how can people contact you? Most basic thing is give me a call. That's the simplest thing. I am better at answering the phone than any other contact. But also I've got a website. If everyone wants to look at mcequestrian.com.au, that uh, gives you a bit of an overview about me and gives you all my contact details there as well. Okay, good. Now, Matt, thanks very much for talking to us today and hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thanks very much, Glenis. I Thank appreciate you. it. Okay, bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.